Oh, it's good to worship our Lord together and um, with songs that even our kids enjoy. Kids, I know it is good to have you with us this morning. Our kids' ministry is here and our littler ones, all the littles are here with us because this is our family service. And then on Christmas Eve and Christmas, we like to do a family service where the whole family is together. We can bring all of our volunteers in and we can worship together. Now, I know that there might be an occasional crying or um, no crying he makes does not necessarily apply to your kids. <laughs> you know what? That's awesome because we're family. And if we were gathering around our living room, if you were gathering in my living room and at Christmas time, you'd bring all the kids and there would be cre- screaming and crying sometimes and who knows what, but that's what family's about. And so that's a good reminder to us even of how Jesus came. And that Jesus humbled himself to come as a baby. Now, probably he did cry. Just my own little personal thought there, because that's how babies communicate. But that's just part of it. And so let this morning be a reminder of that. As we we celebrate Christmas Eve together, just a a quick note. If you haven't started Christmas shopping yet, um, today might be a good day. I hear there's one day until Christmas. And so let's, let's get on that. One of the traditions that we have in our home, and, and Christmas Eve service, you sort of get some of my traditions, and, and I don't apologize for that. It's sort of fun. One of our traditions is before we do gifts or anything, we read the Christmas story, and we usually do something to make it interesting or memorable. Now, that has changed over the years because what they were willing to do at 5 is not the same that they're willing to do at 13. But we still want to make it memorable. And if you notice, each family was given a bag. And this is probably one of the more dangerous bags I've given out, especially with kids in the room. And throughout the morning, throughout my talk this morning, you're going to be, we're going to reference different things in that bag to help us remember creatively what the Christmas story was about and what happened. Those of you with kids, help them touch it and and engage in it. This will help their memories. And we're going to read through the Christmas story and then we're going to zero in and focus in on the shepherds and angels as we talk about rejoice and continue to talk about rejoice. I love hearing all the bags going. (laughs) True confession, we were going to take the material and wrap it up with some twine. And after one or two of those, we went and bought bags. (laughs) Otherwise, we'd still be wrapping with twine and... um, But I want to remember the story of how God sent His Son, Jesus, to save us, to give us hope, to rescue us. Kids, you ready to hear the Christmas story? What's the Christmas story about, kids? Jesus, that's right. This time it's okay to say Jesus. The the Christmas story is about the birth of Jesus. And we have all kinds of different characters. Who's your, I'm going to ask the adults this question. Who's your favorite character in the Christmas story? Joseph? Why Joseph? Really brave. I'd like you to adopt the Son of God. Yeah, that's amazing. And he obeyed. He obeyed God. Someone else, who's your favorite character? Shepherds? Why shepherds? Yeah, I don't know if you guys heard that. She was talking about shepherds and that after playing a shepherd in Living Nativity, Sarah was one of our shepherds. The, the story of what the shepherds went through and how God used them, what they were like, means so much more. I see that hand. Nice and loud. It's about Jesus. That's your favorite? Well, okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> that, 
Don't kids give us great reminders of what's important? Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We'll be looking at this version or this account, Luke's account of the nativity and of the birth of Christ. And even though these are familiar verses, verses you've undoubtedly heard every year, don't let the awe of them fail you. Don't miss what's happening here. And see it new this morning as we have the lights and all the trappings of Christmas around us. Remember that this was God's plan to rescue us from the bondage of sin, from, from, the, from death that is a consequence of sin. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1, we read, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registers, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And we start with the first six verses of this account of the the birth of Christ. Let me get my bag here. And we're reminded of a couple different things. And and we have some elements in your bag to help remind us of that. We're, We're reminded first that Joseph and Mary were a common family. They were from Nazareth. And as you've heard me say before, can actually, Scripture says, can any good thing come from Nazareth? It was a little podunk town away from everything. And and you had some of the poorest of the poor that lived there. We know that Joseph and Mary were poor and and they didn't have much. And there's two nails in your bag. Parents, please watch your kids. There's two nails in the bag. Kids, what do you think the nails represent? What was Joseph? Abby? Jesus was nailed to the cross. Okay, well, that's going to be the end of the rescue plan. And, and you're, you're preaching my sermon ahead of me. We'll get there. <laughs> that's great, though, that you're there. Um, well, at the beginning, what do the nails remind us of, of Joseph? He was a carpenter, right? He worked with wood. He worked with nails. He worked with stone. He was a builder of things. And this reminds us that he was just an ordinary guy. And he and, and Mary were just an ordinary couple. And that's who God chose to use. The next thing you have in there is a piece of cloth, right? Kids, hold up your piece of cloth. What was baby Jesus wrapped in? Swaddling clothes. And it was a a typical thing they would do to, to swaddle the baby, to hold them in, to make them feel comfortable and safe and secure. And we know that the baby was wrapped in swaddling clothes. And so that reminds us of how Jesus came and was wrapped in those cloths. In the manger. Now the rock. This represents the manger. Please don't, please don't throw it. If you have kids with good arms, this is not a good time. <laughs> but why does the rock represent a manger? Mangers were most likely stone of the time. This is sort of your, your just fun fact of the morning. This is a picture of a manger that was found near Bethlehem. And, and in fact, we found mangers all the way north to Megiddo and Chorazin and some other places. They're all of stone because that's what they built stuff of. It's, when we were in Israel, the tour guide says, basically, remember, there's no trees in southern Israel. So where do you get the wood? 
So they made things out of what they had, stone. So the rock represents the manger, the feeding trough that Jesus was wrapped in the swaddling clothes and placed in. This is where the hay and the the gruel for the animals would have been placed. This was probably not as pristine as this picture. It probably had been used recently. And it's a reminder that Jesus came to humble parents, lowly parents, because He was here for everyone, wrapped in cloths, and the only place they had for Him was this dirty manger, this dirty stable. I can just picture in my mind, and we can use our imagination a little bit here, but I can picture Mary cleaning it up the best she could and wiping it out and making sure this was the best place that she could possibly provide for this little baby. But then we go on to verse 8, and the, the story goes on. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And Bethlehem is, is also a little podunk town about five miles south of Jerusalem, and it's surrounded by fields. And, and when we think of fields, we think of nice green alfalfa or whatever. These were basically fields of rock and, and sand, and, and maybe an occasional shrub every now and then. But these shepherds, I think we have a picture. This is modern-day Bethlehem. But this would have been a little bit of, of a field that they would be shepherding in. And there's a shepherd with some of the sheep. And, and I want to zoom in this morning a little bit on the shepherds and eventually get to the angels' proclamation to them. But shepherds, we want to understand, were also one of the lower members, the lower classes of society. Now, it's really interesting as you follow history through. In the Old Testament, shepherds were thought highly of. In fact, kings were often mentioned that they were to shepherd Israel. Their hero, King David, was a shepherd. But somewhere along the line between David and and now, the shepherds had gotten this bad reputation. And interestingly enough, the leaders of Israel, Jesus said, were were poor shepherds. They were bad shepherds that had not led well. And so the symbolism actually matched what happened to the the status of this class. They were considered poor and humble. They were considered outsiders. And this is as a class. Not every shepherd was this way. And I think the ones we're dealing with were probably godly men and women. But they had this bad reputation. They were considered unreliable. In fact, some of the texts of the time, you couldn't even have a shepherd testify in court because they were that unreliable. They, they had a reputation of confusing mine and thine as they moved around. Think about that for a minute. Confusing what's theirs and what's yours. And so they would move around and take and they, were, they had a reputation of stealing. Their job also kept them from observing some of the ceremonial religious laws of the time. So they were considered unclean because they couldn't go to the temple and they couldn't do all the ritual um, cleansings and things like that. And so these shepherds were outcasts and sinners that Jesus chose to come to. And Jesus chose to make His first announcement that God chose to make the first announcement of the coming Messiah. They were outcasts and sinners like us. That Jesus came to save like us. And Jesus is now going to reclaim the title of shepherd and show what it means to be the good shepherd, the great shepherd. And what's interesting about coming to the shepherds, they actually were a group that was poised to understand that the Messiah was coming because they were looking for a Messiah shepherd. In Ezekiel, we have the prophecy that says God will rescue His flock by sending a shepherd like His servant David. 
And so they're looking for a rescuing shepherd. In Micah 5, a familiar prophecy that we often use, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are, you, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. We read that a lot, right? To remind us that the Savior is coming from Bethlehem. Just a couple verses later, the prophecy goes on. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And it's interesting, in that prophecy, you have the majesty of the Lord proclaimed and the statement that Jesus would come as a shepherd to bring peace. All the way back hundreds of years before Jesus came. Herod's scholars, remember with the Magi, they even quoted this verse and says, For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So picture the shepherds. They're out in these dark fields. They're not part of society. They're looked down on. But they are waiting for the shepherd Messiah to come. And they know He's going to come and He's going to bring peace and restoration. He's going to change everything. And that's who Jesus cho- God chose to make the first announcement to. You know, why shepherds? A couple of ideas that go through my mind. One is, I think, because they're humble and low. Because they're showing Jesus' humility to stoop, to become a servant, to become man, to humble himself, to empty himself of voluntarily of his attributes, the exercise of his attributes, to become a, a little baby. And the shepherds represent that. They also represent that salvation is for all. It's not just for the rich. If he just came to the kings, then, then all the, the lower class would have been like, well, what about us? He's just, you know, a king for the kings. But in reality, Jesus is a savior for the humble who will turn to him. I think he goes to the shepherds too to show he's going to be the great shepherd, the good shepherd. But also, I think the shepherds were the ones willing to respond. So many times we have to see our need and see our humility before we're willing to respond. But the shepherds are an essential part of the story. Kids, if you look in the bag, and adults, there's a candy cane, which may or may not be broken yet. I know how these things work. This reminds you of the shepherd. Or (laughs) half-eaten. Reminds you of the shepherd, the people... That God made the first announcement to. Now what's really interesting, if you think of the shepherds in, in Bethlehem, and these are just little, little fun factoids that I, I, I geek out on, which you get, that's fine. Um, in that area, the shepherds were keeping sheep, and, and, and we know that, they're, they're tending their flocks at night. But all of the sheep in this area and in the surrounding area of Jerusalem, actually a little broader than Bethlehem, all of the sheep that were being raised here were designated for temple sacrifice. And so these weren't just pet, Mary had a little lamb sheeps. These were sheep that were going to pay, be sacrificed for the sins of the people. And that is such a, a cool thing that God plans here to come and announce it to the shepherds taking care of the sacrificial lambs that would be without blemish. And he would show them the sacrificial lamb that was perfect and without blemish. So the last thing in your bag is a cotton ball or two. And that's to remind you of the sacrificial lamb. 
the lambs that the shepherds were watching. Just a few things to remind us of some of the characters of the Christmas story. But in that verse, it says the shepherds were out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And so what they would do is all night, they would take turns rotating and then one would wake up the other and say, okay, it's your turn now. And they would watch the flock specifically from wild animals and thieves. And so they were on guard duty. And just picture, you're out in the middle of nowhere, it is dark, and you're on guard duty, and all your friends are asleep. And you hear a noise. Your adrenaline starts to pump, and you start to, I, I know this at home, there's times that I hear a noise at home, and I have yet to wake Susie up and say, hey, go check that out. Um, <laughs> I, I grab something, and, the, and the, 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 the little post off our bed is nice and heavy and solid, and so I always grab that and take with me because this will help. Sorry, I know there's kids here. I was going to say some other things. <laughs> this will help with any intruder. And I go looking through the house and my heart is pumping and I'm looking out all the windows and wondering what's going on. That's the picture here of these shepherds in the field. Kids, do you get it? You ever been scared of something? Annoyed? And, and so they're there. And so when the angel comes, that's a noise. That's something unexpected. And, and I can just picture their hearts jumping out of their throats because they're so scared. And so in verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great, filled with great fear. <laughs> yeah. And the angel said to them, and we're going to skip down to the, move down. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And we looked at this last week about how rejoicing is always tied to a Savior in the Christmas narratives. And, and we see a Savior, a Redeemer, a Deliverer, Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Coming King. We see the name Lord used for ruler and master, one who has authority. And we see rejoicing. Then it goes on in verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Kids, what's this? Swaddling clothes? It's a rock, you're right. <laughs> it represents a manger, but you're right, it's a rock. I'm not going to argue that. <laughs> Mangers were a little bigger than that. But God gave them a sign. In His gracious love and care, He helped them realize faith is not just blind. Faith is not just idle. Faith is backed up by facts. Faith is backed up by truth. And he says, go look. You'll find a baby in swaddling cloths, which that wasn't that unusual, lying in a manger. Now we're dealing with unusual. And suddenly, and I want to focus in on 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. And in 13, we see the one angel turn into a multitude, a hosts of angels. A number of scholars think that hosts here means a number beyond count. A number that's more than a hundred, more than a thousand, but so overwhelmingly, in fact, one... one, one um, scholar, and I really love this idea, thought that maybe every angel came to see this event. 
that this was that special, that God was intervening in history and God's plan was coming to earth. And so every angel shows up to give glory to God. And this, you know, we picture maybe a group of five or six. Picture this. Picture from horizon to horizon. That's probably more accurate with what's pictured here. Angels everywhere. Light everywhere. Would that, would that change your night? Would you listen? And the angels said two things. Did you catch those? What's the first thing they said? Glory to God in the highest. What's the second thing they said? Peace to men. Peace, right, Abby? Peace to men. And when we think of this proclamation, what I want to go away with today is those two concepts. Glory and peace. Glory to God. Peace to men on whom His favor dwells. And so we start with glory. And in fact, if you look through these, we have two stanzas that are paralleling each other. Glory and peace. To God, or in the highest heaven and on earth, to God and to man. And these are the results of God's plan. These are the results of the birth of Jesus Christ. God Himself incarnate, coming in the flesh. These angels have been waiting for, for thousands of years to see what God would do. They've watched all of Israel. They've watched all of the failures. They've watched the cycle of rebellion. They've watched God's judges and His kings and Him rescuing. And, and I can just picture in heaven, because the angels are not omnipotent, are omniscient. They don't know everything. And I picture them now seeing God intervene with this baby and they're like, wow! Kids, can you say that? Wow! Okay, louder. You gotta be really surprised. Wow! And, and so the angels then show up and their proclamation is glory and peace. And it starts with glory. Glory to God in the highest. And, and the, the idea here is in your notes it says glory. That, that's the blank there. The angels gave God glory as they saw His plan unfolding. And so they see what God is starting to do. The light starts to go on. They begin to understand where they maybe hadn't understood before. And they wondered what God was doing. And that word for glory means praise or weighty praise or brightness. And it's a hard word for us to understand because it is so much bigger than we can understand. Picture every attribute of God, every name of God that we've studied, everything that is God all lumped together and glory is the manifestation of all those together. I like to think of glory as the attribute that covers all other attributes of God. And it is the culmination of all other attributes of God. In the Old Testament, the word glory literally means heavy or weighty. And it's the idea of, okay, if you have an omniscient God, that's pretty cool. But omniscient and omnipotent, where He's all-knowing and all-powerful, and omnipresent, He's everywhere. And He's a God of grace, and He's a God of love, and He's a God of righteousness, and He's a God of wrath, and He's a God of truth, and He's a God of mercy. And all of those things come together in that stone manger. Because all of His attributes are fulfilled in that act. And so how could the angels not come and say, Glory to God! Glory to God! Because they're seeing this plan with awe and wonder. And they're seeing God in His wisdom 
and grace and love and righteousness providing a way to pay for that sin. Our holy, loving God acted and that action started in the manger. It's a reminder that God is at work. There are times, and and even times this Christmas, that some of you sitting here haven't seen God at work very much. And you're wondering, where is God? Maybe this year has been a tough year. Others have had a great year. But if it's a tough year, this is a reminder that God is always at work. He was always at work through those 4,000 years. He was orchestrating history to come to this moment in time, this point when He would come in the flesh. Because we know God is always at work, because we know His plan is perfect, we can say glory to God. We can say glory to God no matter what circumstances you're in, no matter what your feelings are telling you. Glory to God in the highest. Christmas reminds us that He is at work and He never stops being at work. This is His plan, His work, and it comes before peace. But peace is the result. And so the angels first said, glory to God. And kids, you've got to say this with me as loud as you can, okay? We're going to sing glory to God. Okay, one, two, three. That was pretty good. Do you think we can do better? Because I bet the multitude and the hosts of angels were a little louder than that. Let's all join together. One, two, three. Glory to God. And kids, I want you to remember tonight and tomorrow that this is about bringing glory to God. The second word there is peace, right? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is well pleased. And there's a lot of ways to take this word for peace. But, but the idea here is, and we have to understand that even though this is written in Greek, it's, it's with a Hebrew understanding of shalom. And we've talked about shalom. In fact, your tour guides talked about shalom. Shalom means more than just, oh, I, I hope you have a good day. I, I hope that you have a peaceful day. Shalom is God's blessings on you. It's, it's the absence of, of conflict, but also the existence of relationship. If, if I am at odds with my wife, and maybe I've said something stupid or whatever, and something hurtful, and then we come back together and I apologize, and that relationship is restored, that is a picture of peace. If we're still at odds, and if we're still not speaking to each other, no peace. Right? Peace is, shalom, is coming together in relationship, in blessing. It's more than just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of relationship. And so when when the angels here say glory to God in the highest, the second half we can't forget, God is glorified because He is providing a way for peace with God. He is providing an impossible peace. And so the second point in your notes is, is the word is peace. It's seemingly impossible peace between God and us is the miracle that Christmas begins. See, here's the thing. And, and, and you know this, but at Christmas we have to remember this. Our sin makes us enemies of God. Our sin is a direct act of hostility against our Creator, the Lord of the universe. And so God hasn't turned from us. We have turned from Him and we have defied Him. And every one of us has sinned. We are broken. And we feel that brokenness. That brokenness hasn't just pervaded your heart. It has pervaded all of creation. 
You can't look around and see brokenness in our crea- and not see brokenness in our creation. And that should remind us of how incredible the birth of this child is. And it says, glory to God in the highest peace on earth to men on whom His, his uh, favor dwells. That peace is restoring that brokenness. It's restoring that broken trust in relationship. Kids, you, you guys are here. Is there a problem if you disobey mom and dad? Yeah, I have an honest one somewhere. <laughs> yeah, there's a problem when you disobey mom and dad. And you know mom and dad are probably going to discipline because they want you to love God and follow God. And that's a brokenness in that relationship. But then you take care of it, right? The discipline happens and you have peace with mom and dad again. You have restored relationship. Well, what if kids, someone else decided to come and take that discipline for you? What if someone else said, I want you to have peace with your parents, so I'm going to get that spanking for you, or I'm going to take that time out for you? That's what Jesus did for us on a much, much grander scale. We are enemies of God. And Jesus came to bring peace. Not that there's never any war. Eventually that will happen. But peace between us and God. And that is incredible. This looks forward to what Jesus would do 30 years later. This looks forward to the cross. He had to bear the penalty of our sins on Himself. He had to pay the price of those sins. He had to be the sacrificial lamb that those shepherds were watching out in the field. Isn't that cool? He came to restore peace by being the ultimate perfect sacrifice, the last sacrifice that would be needed. He brings us into relationship with God though. Not just paying for our sins, but drawing us in so we can be adopted as sons and daughters of the King. See, Christmas just starts that. If we stop at Christmas, what do we have? A cute little baby. But Christmas is so much more. Glory to God, peace on earth, because that represents the start of a 30-year plan, 33-year plan that would culminate in the cross and then the resurrection and the empty tomb. A couple verses that we see in the New Testament. Colossians 1, verse 20. And through Him, through Jesus, to reconcile to Himself all things. And we see that peace coming, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that's a good description of us, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Ephesians 2.14 says the same thing. For He Himself is our peace. Jesus didn't just bring peace. He is peace. Think about that when you hear the angels say, peace on earth. That's, they're talking about Jesus. They're talking about what He would do, His work. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, He has restored the brokenness in us, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The, dif- the distance between us and God. This is incredible, guys. 
Christmas is starting a miracle that is far more than just the trappings of the manger scene. But it represents our ability to have peace with God. Something we cannot accomplish on our own. I don't care what you do. You cannot earn peace with God. Sin has to be paid for. And Jesus is the one that had to pay for it. Don't lose the awe of the peace that God brings. Peace among those with whom He is pleased or on whom His favor rests, some other translations say. Reminding us that you have to come to Christ. You have to accept this. God doesn't force His salvation on you. But this is something that He asks us to respond as He has given us His Son. And He has sent His Son to pay for that. That sin. And we have to respond. Jesus is our peace. Why did the angels glorify God? Because they recognized the worth and weight of God's presence on earth. They praised Him for it because God gains glory and He was giving us peace. What a song. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to all men on whom His favor dwells. So kids, you've got to be loud with me again, okay? I want you to say glory to God again, okay? One, two, three. And, and then we say the second part of that, on earth, peace. Or just say peace. Let's, just, let's make it simple. Say peace. peace. Glory and peace. You know, the items I gave you at the beginning. Kids, you can look at those items. Those aren't just to remind us of the start of the rescue mission. They're to remind us of the whole rescue mission. Abby so wonderfully reminded us of that when she saw the nails. And so those are a reminder of the nails that Jesus was crucified with. And yes, they represent the carpenter and the lowly state he came, but they also represent the death that he, would, that he would give, that he would pay the price for our sins. You see the cloth. And this was the swaddling cloth, but it also represents the grave cloths that Jesus was wrapped in, that he really died. But three days later, these were empty. These were empty and death was defeated and there was victory over sin and salvation available for all who would believe. The stone on the third day, this wasn't just about the manger. This also helps remind us of the stone that was rolled away because God did not stay dead. Jesus did not stay in that grave. He is alive now living in us. The cane represents that He is now our Good Shepherd. He is now the Shepherd that paid His price for our sins. In John 10, 11-15, it says, Jesus said, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. As long as he's faster than the sheep, he's good. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know my Father, I laid down my life for the sheep. And this is a reminder that Jesus as shepherd laid down his life for us. That his body was broken 
on our behalf. And finally, the cotton ball represented the little lambs that the shepherds were watching in the field. But at the end of the story, it represents the sacrificial lamb that Jesus became. A lamb without sin, without blemish, without spot, that was perfectly sacrificed in our place on the cross. Those five things, I hope, don't just draw us into the manger, but draw us into the whole rescue story. And then we respond. And the third point and where we leave it this morning is the response. We rejoice like shepherds by renewing our awe at God's plan and sharing the great news of peace. We've got to renew our awe. We've got to, we've got to see this fresh. And not just a story, but that God brought salvation and peace that we couldn't through the miracle of His glory. And then we need to share that news of peace with everyone that will hear. Listen to the end of the story, starting at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go! Or, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. They've now taken the place of the angels. And they're bringing glory to God to everyone that will hear, praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told him. In verse 15 and 16, we see they urgently went. In 17 and 18, they told everyone that would listen. And in verse 20, they praised God and glorified God. Glory to God in the highest. Oh, may we rejoice like those shepherds. We can glory in a lot of things at Christmas. A lot of distractions get in the way. We can glory in family. We can glory in food. We can glory in gifts. We can glory in dessert. Different from food. We can glory in vacation. We can glory in lights. We can glory in shows. And all those things are great, but they're really weak things to glory in. Those are things to enjoy, not to glory in. And we elevate them to a priority of, oh, and we glory in them. And that's, that's just not helpful. They can't support the weight of that kind of glory. Because they will let you down. They won't bring lasting comfort. They won't bring lasting hope or joy. We need to enjoy those things of Christmas, but glory in the Savior. Be in awe. See all of God in that manger, in this plan. And then remember your voice. Remember to tell people. I was at Home Depot yesterday buying the rocks and nails, which is always a great conversation starter. And, and I saw a young man at the checkout um, who was checking me out who actually has been on campus a couple times and played some basketball here. And he's like, hey, Pastor Ron. I'm like, I know you from somewhere. I don't know where that is. But, and, and he explained. And he asked about the rocks and the nails. It was a great opportunity. I don't think he knows Christ. So I shared with him what we were using the rocks and nails for. He's like, that's really cool. I don't know what God will do with that seed. But we must not lose our voice. If we are glorying in the Messiah, if we are so in awe of this, we can't help but speak about it. We can't help it. Rejoice like the shepherds. Now I'd be remiss if I didn't 
know that there are people here that maybe have never accepted Christ, that maybe have never experienced the awe of a Savior, that have never understood that we are sinners in need of a Savior and we have a great Savior that came at Christmas so long ago and then culminated that plan on the cross in the empty tomb. And today, you can choose to follow Him. You can choose to ask Him for forgiveness for your sins because He's freely offering that and to say, I I confess I am a sinner and I need your salvation. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I know you came to rescue me, to be my sacrificial lamb. And I choose to follow you. As we go through the, the last Advent candle and communion, just you and God right here do business and accept Him today. Make Him Lord of your life. Accept that gift of salvation. And it'll be a Christmas like no other. A Christmas like no other. I want to light our last Advent candle. Finally, we light the sinner candle which represents the birth of Jesus Christ. This is what the season is about. The central location of the candle reminds us that that Jesus' incarnation and His coming into our heart, that should be central to everything we do. How we act, how we think, it should all glorify God. There is no higher calling. Don't settle. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the sinner candle reminds us of God's glory, full of grace and truth. Picture yourself back in that stable. It's late. It's dark. A woman cries with the pain of labor. Suddenly a newborn infant cries. A child has been born. In the most basic human process, God brings Himself into the world, into our world, into our ordinary, day-to-day, humdrum, sometimes dirty and dark and cluttered lives, reminding us that no matter what we think or feel or do, God can understand from His own direct experience. In that seemingly ordinary event that we celebrate tomorrow morning, light has come into the world. Dazzling, glorious light, and our rescue has begun. Our salvation has begun. This candle represents Jesus Christ who was born like us, who died and lives to save us. This candle of Emmanuel means God with us. He came and He still is. Lord God, we rejoice in who You are. We give glory in who You are and for what You've done, Lord. That You have orchestrated the most unlikely plan to save us from our sins. To bring a Savior that would experience the full breadth of humanity humbly and and then would die on the cross for our sins having done no wrong, having deserved nothing like that, but rather to take our sins on Himself, to feel every one of them, to bear those so that we can be saved. Oh Lord, glory to You. Glory to God in the highest. In Jesus' name, Amen.